Action! Welcome to Torn Stubs with me, photographer Robert Gershenson and Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. Merry Christmas. Happy Christmas, Rob. Merry Christmas, Joshua. We finally got there. <laughs> Somehow. Somehow we finally got oh, to Christmas. Doesn't it just feel like Christmas? Hopefully you're having as much of a happy and a safe Christmas as you possibly can. And hopefully this episode of Taunt Stubbs can take your mind off of any COVID blues you may have. We collaborated with our friends Dane and Will from Chasing Chalamet podcast. They are American and they've selected what they believe is a typically British Christmas movie. The classic Love Actually directed by Richard Curtis. Yes. <laughs> yes, they chose what they believe to be the quintessential British Christmas movie and to be honest it was either that or one of the versions of a Christmas carol so I'm quite happy that they chose this one yeah I agree I feel like this is the most British Christmas selection they could have made because I thought I was thinking either this or the Muppet Christmas carol and I probably would have been happier watching a Muppet Christmas carol (laughs) but you know it's their choice but the Muppet Christmas carol apart from being uh, you know, apart from having Michael Caine in it, she was only 16. It's a very American version of A Muppet Christmas Carol because the Muppets are all American. Yeah, so we're going to watch Love Actually and we're having a, a chat with them. Now, some may say that Dane's microphone was facing the wrong way around when he was recording. And, <laughs> and some may say that explains why his audio sounds a bit dodgy, but... That is utterly fake news. The truth is, Dane is a droid. We bought him secondhand from some Jowers on a recent COVID-compliant trip to Tatooine, and we need to buy him a new voice box. And once we've installed it, I'm really hoping that it will contain a translator and he can speak bocce. So here's our transatlantic chat with Dane and Will about Love Actually. The next voice you hear, the American one, will be Dane's. Joshua, press play on the cassette deck. Robert, I'm very curious to hear from you, given that you, until this recording, had not seen Love, actually. No, I had never seen it. I'd seen little clips, because you can't go, you know, walking around in in England around Christmas time with the television on, seeing just little clips here and there. But I'd never sat down to watch it from start to finish. I grew up on TV shows that Richard Curtis had been involved in. So Blackadder, uh, The Thin Blue Line. Um, Vicar of Dibley. The Vicar of Dibley. Um, you know, so he is a, a sharp, he is a brilliant, brilliant comedic writer. But the thing there is he's collaborating, usually with Ben Elton, um, but he's collaborating and also Rowan Atkinson. So he's he can't have complete control. As soon as he started making films you can see the sort of person who he is coming out and the sort of films he makes are repugnant they might be funny (laughs) (laughs) they might be funny like full witness and the funeral that is a sharp sharp script and there is no fat on that script but the problem is he makes very classy inverted commas films 
for white people with white people, privileged white people with money. That's how he sees the world. He made a film or he wrote a film called Notting Hill. Notting Hill is, for want of a better comparison, the Harlem of London. It's the most Afro-Caribbean area of London. They even have a, an Afro-Caribbean carnival each year called the Notting Hill Carnival. Oh, we saw Adele's controversy yeah. about being sad that she was missing it this year. So yes, that, yes. that was a big learning yes, curve. We spoke and, about that on, on the, on the oh, June yeah. trailer. Right, which to your point, it's in my in my knowledge, Notting Hill. I see the poster with Julia Roberts and Hugh Grant. So to hear that there's a huge festival that's um, Afro culture based was was quite yeah, eye opening to me. In that film, it's just white people owning secondhand bookshops and wearing goggles to cinemas. <laughs> Every film he makes, even that <laughs> film about time. You think he'd be able to squeeze in a black person or maybe even like a little Indian lady in the corner somewhere. His films mm -hmm. are, I've always said this, I think I said it on, oh, that's it. When Joshua and I did The Holiday on the podcast a couple of years ago, drew parallels between the way that he sees the world and the way Nancy Myers sees the world. They both see it as privileged white people only making films for privileged white people. So it's always always put me off seeing this film to the point where I don't watch his films anymore. Mm -hmm. It's very much an, an American way of seeing Britain because that's where the money comes from. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, Joshua, what is your history with love actually? Um, it's pretty similar to Rob's. Like I grew up watching Vicar of Dibley and I love, I love that TV show. I don't know if you guys are familiar no. with it. It's a kind of like a small town rural sitcom about a female vicar who comes in and shakes up all of the very kind of traditional, narrow-minded local village people. Um, and it's very, very funny. I love the Christmas episodes and I'll watch them pretty much every year. There's, uh, yeah, there's some great ones. Um, Notting Hill was enormous. It was almost inescapable. It was just such a huge thing. And... I do, I completely agree with Rob's kind of view of it as, you know, a white middle class view of the world. And I don't agree with the, the complete eradication of the Afro-Caribbean community. But I think that a lot of that film is so likable that I almost like it despite itself. Yeah, that is the problem. They are very likable yeah. films. They're very funny. Yeah. Exactly. And the people in them are really funny. They're warm. It's about... It's about family, um, you know, they're, they're people that you like, even though you don't really know them. And I think this, a similar thing happened yeah. with Love Actually, where I kind of, I like some of it. I don't like a lot of it. And even watching it again last night for the first time in years, I was really shocked that there were lines that I knew before they happened. There were scenes that I knew inside out. And it was like, I don't feel like I really watched it that many times, but for some reason, maybe it's because it hasn't really gone away. It's still so ingrained in my memory. It's bizarre. Yeah, so so my history with it is basically like, yes, it's part of our culture now. It's this big, huge thing. And I think that people either love it, love it, love it, and won't hear a word against it, or they kind of despise it now, even if they maybe liked it when it first came out, they'll now talk about all the things that are wrong with it. So it's really, it really has mm -hmm. become this divisive 
British Christmas classic film. And Will, what about you? I I came to the movie uh, two or three years after it came out, and I that was I was in college then, being really surprised by how much I liked it then. And you know, I had a housemate that really liked it, so like it was on it was on kind of pretty regularly. So much of this movie is baked into my brain, just like you, Josh, where certain scenes and lines and deliveries are, are are just so etched into the corners of my mind. But I haven't watched it in a very long time. And I think it's one of those situations where sometimes you sit things down and you miss them and you come back to them and you're like, oh, I'm, I really – I um. Oh, I wish I'd I wish I had watched that more. This I think is something that I kind of set down and I was kind of okay upon rewatching to be like, you know what, I I can leave that in the past. <laughs> <laughs> I I think it's all very telling. The film almost opens with the line solid gold shit maestro. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 appropriate that um you're right, it it has that opening scene where they're Billy Mac is covering his long, which, you know, that's, I think, one of the interesting distinctions between Richard, the perceptions of Richard Curtis, that you guys have this um, knowledge of him as a television writer, whereas all I really know is his screenplay work, and Love Actually was his first uh, directing credit, so I yes. don't, we, we kind of don't have this wealth of knowledge to go back about his his comedy chops on TV, so it seems like maybe I learned he, today that he was involved in Black Adder, which kind of blows my mind comparing it to this <laughs> right yeah. and and robert uh this you were, i was thinking about this when you were talking about him i i almost um through your description compare him to like aaron sorkin who is known as a writer but is now moving into directing and in the two movies that he's directed that i've watched i'm like Ugh, this worked so much better when you didn't direct your own scripts. And I'm wondering if maybe Richard Curtis has the same problem because you look at his story credits and, and there are so many, you know, whether it's Four Weddings and a Funeral or Bridget Jones, he he crafts great scripts that then people then take and make into great movies. And while I am going to be playing for the defense of Love Actually as a movie that I really, really love, you know, I I will go to the mat for a lot of things that other people don't like. I feel like when someone comes to me and says they don't like Love Actually, I don't have much to say other than right on you. Yeah, like it, it's not. It's kind of it's kind of a nothing movie. I think the script is 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 perfectly fine. It's a really sharply written. It is funny. I mean, it's very funny. It is. You know, you can you can hear it much in the same way that. You know, you could turn the sound off on a Kevin Smith movie, and if you'd never seen his movies before, you wouldn't know it's a Kevin Smith movie. But if you only hear a Kevin Smith movie, you could pick up the mm. the, the the patter of the dialogue. It's the same with Richard mm. Curtis. He doesn't have a visual style, especially not on this film. This feels like a very long Christmas advert or a series of adverts cobbled together. I'm almost, almost uh, at, at every 60 seconds, I'm almost expecting to see a pack shot of, I don't know, like Coca-Cola or Pizza Hut, something that is whimsical. It just feels like they're selling something here. I mean, even with the opening and the closing with everyone hugging at the arrivals gate, like it's very, 
it's very this it's very saccharine and kind of it's commercially this is only four years after 9-11 and yet they are no, it's evoking. two years after 9-11 no 9-11 was yeah 2001 this is 2005 this came out in 2003. Yeah, so... Oh, yeah, 2003. Oh, is it 2003? Yeah. Oh, my God, it's mm-hmm. even older. Fuck. Okay, so two years after, and they're already saying, well, obviously, everyone just thought of love in the final moments. What a what a weird thing to hijack for... I found it so bizarre. a movie yeah, that... So bizarre. That is so unashamedly looking the other way at people's bad behavior. So... It's such a weird thing to do. The 9-11 of it feels so tacked on. <laughs> Even yeah. with like yeah. the discussions with the with the American president and the and the and like the <laughs> the press conference with the PM, it all feels very like well this okay. Why? Why is this happening? Yeah. <laughs> um I think but and then and then like all of the airport stuff is panic-inducing because just knowing what an airport is like in a post-9-11 world. Yeah. Like, like why did no yeah. one get tasered in the face and put on a no-fly list? It's... Yeah. I was... At, the running through the airport scene made me so anxious. <laughs> that's that's happened to me. I was expecting him to get taken down, like, shot in the back of the head. Because the policeman would just think, well, that's not a kid. It's it's clearly a, a terrorist in disguise. Let me take him down. I'm good. I mean, that's, that's definitely how and... that's definitely how American police are. Um... Yeah, my my comment was going to be, uh, you know, watching it in 2020 eyes, a cop not shooting a small white kid is not surprising to me. But obviously, that's probably not what Richard <laughs> Curtis had in mind when he wrote this in you know 2002 or whatever. Well, um, even if this was a two, even if this was a 2020 film, and it was a Richard Curtis film, no black kids will get shot because there are no black kids in a Richard Curtis movie. Yeah, the only character of color in this movie is Joanna. Well, no, there, there's there's Peter, and then mm. there's um, and then Tony. Oh yeah, the the filmmaking guy. Oh, the, yeah, his friend, who have. B- who have barely any any lines at all. He's not allowed to stand up. He's only allowed to yeah. sit on the couch and tell carol singers to bugger off. We we can get into the what has aged well and what hasn't aged well. Maybe what was even not appropriate at the time of this movie being released. Um, but I do think that is a good a good point to bring up something I wanted to talk about with this movie, which is I think one of the reasons this movie has become so beloved to me and to many Americans, probably in the millennial age range, Love Actually, I think, was the first time I saw a Christmas movie be a bit raunchy. Like, I remember renting this, probably, I would, I, I guess it would, because if it came out in 2003, I'd probably rented it around, like, holidays 2004, when I would have been 12. So, to me, this was the first time I really saw, like, a Christmas you know, a hard R-rated Christmas romp. And so I think that subversion... Is this raunchy, though? This is like a I PG. I think in comparison sure, to a lot of Christmas movies, out. it is. She's naked for half I think this film. is a PG over here. It, it could easily be shown... At... No. It's a 15. No. It could definitely be shown at, like, 7 o'clock on the, in an evening. Um, I mean, there's a lot of 
language. There's a lot of there's lot of language. Fucks. There's nudity. Um, oh yeah, there's some boobs. That's a 15. Yeah. For me, so, I mean, the naughtiness doesn't go far enough. To me, at mm. twelve, it was raunchy, especially mm. as someone who, like I said, if my benchmark for a Christmas movie was Home Alone, a Christmas movie where I saw boobs mm. and people were saying fuck. That was like mind blowing. Oh, they do say fuck, don't they? Marty uh, McCutcheon. Yeah. Just, oh, my fucking code? Do you know who Marty? Do you know who Marty McCutcheon is? No, I, and actually, that's something I wanted to ask about because I know from research and watching, uh, I've like looked into her just because like I'm. I think she's great in the movie, so I'm always yeah. like, what else is she in? I want to see more of her stuff. But she's not really an actress. She's like a. Isn't she like a British singer? Well, she she was an actress. Have, have you ever have you heard of EastEnders? Yeah. Yes. So EastEnders is one of our biggest soap operas, um, and she played a character called Tiffany Mitchell, and she was a loud mouth Tiff. kind of Cockney, right? Cockney, Cockney. and and yeah. she lovable. She took Cockney. the nation's heart by storm, and when her character was Tiff. killed off. She launched a pop career. She was run over by yeah, a car. Yeah, she got run over by a car, right? In the middle of the square yeah. with her daughter in her arms. It's weird. So oh she she <laughs> yeah. launched a um, That's awful. And that so was a shocking. Christmas episode actually. That was uh that was like yeah. Christmas ninety <laughs> mm, Christmas ninety eight, Christmas ninety nine. So she <laughs> launched a pop career and she had this big hit called This Is My Moment and yeah. She did an album. Then she went onto the stage and she was a leading lady on West End. She did like Eliza Doolittle and, and Chicago. So then she ended up in this film and it was a a really bizarre thing to see because she was just the girl from EastEnders and people in soap operas in this country don't, they don't, I mean, very rarely do they. They stay make in their it. lane. They stay in their lane. Yeah, they stay in their lane. And if they leave the soap, they either do like terrible presenting jobs or they go into I'm a celebrity yeah. and then go back into whatever yeah. soap. The weird thing about her is, and I think this is why she ended up with, ended up in this film. Liza Minnelli took a liking to her and she was maid of honor at Liza Minnelli's wedding to David Guest. What? I had no idea. <laughs> That's why. Yeah. So if you if you look at if you look oh, at one of the that. wedding photos, at Liza Minnelli's wedding, it's Liza Minnelli, her blow up doll of a husband, David Guest. Somewhere in the picture is also Elizabeth Taylor, Marty McCutcheon, and Michael Jackson. It was just a very, very <laughs> bizarre. It was almost like, so yeah, weird. it was like, oh my god, it's like your cousin just suddenly being in like a celebrity magazine. <laughs> this is incredible. <laughs> yeah, you know, she was just Tiff from down the pub, almost like girl from the chip shop. Suddenly, is yeah, standing next to made good all these oddball Hollywood people. You done all right, love. You done all right. So, so bizarre. But then she kind of disappeared after doing but Love Actually. she's really good in this film. She is very, very good in this film. And she's good. And she looks she looks like a movie star. She's got a oh, great yeah. face, great eyes. But that is that person she plays in the film, that's her in real life. She's it's, always, always Tiffany, like that. Yeah. So that's how mm -hmm. she was yeah. in EastEnders. She can only play Cockney yeah. Loudmouth. So my question yeah. then becomes, there is a running gag through this movie where we are to be told that her character 
is fat. <laughs> yeah, and this, oh my God. That, and yeah. if we're going to so talk about stupid. an element that is not aged well and wasn't appropriate at the time, this film is aggressively fat phobic. 100%. Yeah, it really is. The sister, the sister. So who yeah, else gets called fat? I know she gets called, she gets called chubby or something. She gets called by chubby everyone, guys. including her actual fat father. Her? And then they, they, <laughs> they are jabbing at the manager's weight. Yes. And, yeah. oh yeah, my fat old manager. Yeah. Good in here, Jobs. Yeah. Um, and then Richard Curtis forced Emma Thompson to wear a fat suit because she was too skinny well, she wearing a fat suit. Yeah. She's wearing the... she's wearing a fat suit. Yeah, she's not. I thought at right. first that she was just dressed dowdy, but she's dressed <laughs> dowdy over mm. a fat suit. I was well. I was gonna say she is absolutely dressed dowdy. Let's not. Let's yeah, not parse it's words. very dowdy. She, she is in a fat suit and she's dressed. Dowdy. But it's it's also like, like velvet skirts and stuff. <laughs> what the what the fuck is the point? I mean, it's obvious. Like I, Richard was trying to make her seem more unworthy of love, and that's. That's fucked up. Hmm. Well, this yeah. is a thing about Richard Curtis in this movie that I noticed. He doesn't hold women in a very high regard. Oh, the no. whole film, which is the, weird, not... because well, this film is like a, a white male fantasy movie. Like all the women fall in love, like young women fall in love with old white guys. The yeah. women have no agency of their own. They're they just, just kind of throwing themselves at all the men. And it doesn't yeah, matter what the men bizarre. do. It just doesn't matter. They're throwing themselves at their bosses. They're throwing themselves <laughs> at their husband's new mate. Even an accent gets... Yeah. Chris Marshall gets yeah. Betty Draper just because he's got... <laughs> yeah, and Elijah... Because he's up. got... Yeah. That is quite a... That is a funny joke, though. And also, what's Charlie Sheen's ex-wife called? Um, she was Denise in... Richards. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Richards. Just because he's got... An English accent. Yeah. Even even well, Emma Thompson's character, who he, she goes back to the husband. Yeah. Okay. So I I want to talk about the Emma Thompson. I want to talk about the Emma Thompson storyline. Before we do that, I do I do want to mention you talked about uh, the age of some of the women. A great point to bring up that Kira Knightley was seventeen when she filmed this movie. She was five years <laughs> older than the boy who's Liam Neeson's son. So which is that's mad. wild. I also I think that's also what, what like the driving force of me wanting to watch this movie was because the two thousand three was when Kira Knightley like broke big with Pirates of the Caribbean. So I think that her involvement in this movie probably is what drove me to want to see it in the first place. And when you know, back, you know, as I mentioned, I was 12 when this came out, or, you know, 11, 12. So, the, her being old, like, 17 to me, like, she just seemed older. Watching it now as someone who's 28, I am, like, I think it's, it, it's like in the shot when he's, she's watching the, the, the wedding footage, and you see them going off on the boat. They, like, zoom in on her face, and I'm like, that is a child. That is a child. Shuaita Ejiofor took a child bride, and now Andrew Lincoln wants to steal her away from him. Um, it is to save maddening. Her. We've been we've been misreading that story for years, <laughs> right? Because I feel like the common wisdom has kind of been that Andrew Lincoln's uh, behavior is inappropriate, especially you know given kind of the big romantic gesture of what he does at the end. But maybe we're all so missing creepy. the point, and he's just trying. To rescue a child ride. <laughs> but then why is he saying, I will always remember you in my heart? 
and then she kisses him and he yeah. doesn't say, Whoa, hang on, you're a child. Right. That's the relationship that is is very icky. What, that the, vignette? The whole yeah. Thing is, that whole, whole thing. thing is just horrible. Yeah. Like, like the wedding video, I'm like, oh, this isn't cute. This is creepy. Yeah, so creepy. He's edited it all together as well because there's various shots going on. It's very weird. It's almost like the kid next door in American Beauty filming Thora Birch. Oh, yeah. It's, it's really mm. creepy. I think one of the things I like most about Love Actually is it, ha- it has me asking all these questions about British culture, and now I can ask them to two people who actually know about British culture and not just assume from the movie. In that scene where Andrew Lincoln is, doesn't want to show her the wedding video, he tries to say that he probably taped an episode of The West Wing over it. <laughs> Was The West Wing a big show in yeah. Britain? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. I just, yeah. yeah. I, I, that, to me, to me that, that caught me on this watch where I just was like, would that have been a big show in, in yeah. Britain? But... I mean, back in, back in those days, we would get the American shows maybe three or four months after you guys had started watching yeah. it. So we would always, you know, because the internet really wasn't the, the space that it is now. You you can't, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. nowadays you can't release a film or a TV show at different times. I mean, they, they right. did it with The Mandalorian and it was just weird because it was like being in the 90s again. But yeah, we would, we had The West Wing, we had everything. Quantum Leap, okay. Northern Girls. <laughs> well, we used to get yeah, those CSI, all of it. We used to have to wait until you guys had had your hiatuses because we wouldn't break <clears throat> up a season. We would just have every episode on yeah. every week for like, yeah, we don't get the, uh, whereas you guys have breaks. Yeah, we don't stuff. get the summer break, which at times would be hmm. odd because the Christmas episode would happen in summer. It wouldn't happen mm-hmm. at Christmas time. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was never in sync. So, yeah, so we would sync. always see the Friends Christmas episode in like September yeah, or something. Like April. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Okay, so let's jump in and go storyline by storyline. So on Wikipedia, the first story they talk about is Billy Mac and his manager, Joe. So uh, we do have the aforementioned uh, fat phobia that is thrown at Joe. Do you know who Joe is? Do you know who the actor is? Never seen him in anything else that, I, that I'm aware of. So his name's Gregor Fisher. Um, he's a very well-known Scottish comedian over here. And he has a brilliant character called Rasbin, Rab C. Nesbitt. So it was a, um, it was a sitcom. Yes. It ran for like 25 years. It's in the thickest glaswegian accent so it has to be broadcast with subtitles (laughs) (laughs) is that when he's got like a a ginger like no like that's you're thinking of his other character called the baldy man who would always have a comb over yeah and he'd always be trying to make himself look really good and then take a photo in one of those photo booths (laughs) yes um but it's just lovely to see him in just playing a a straight role that's yeah or is it a straight role? Mm. Also, poor Bill Nye with his arthritis in his hand. Yeah. <laughs> poor Bill Nye can hardly hold anything. The, his his performance is interesting because it's so bad. You know, he he's still he, he's still you think it's bad? <sighs> it's Bill Nye. <laughs> so you don't like Bill Nye in general? No, no, I like him. He's just oh, okay. 
he's all over the place here. It's like he hasn't. It's like he doesn't have a director to consult with. But the manicness of that performance really works for me. Like it, he seems unrestrained, and I think most of the fu- well, some of the funniest moments in the movie are from him. Yeah. Like yeah. yeah. Do you know who he's talking to when he goes on TV? The two presenters. No. Again, yeah. are are, are, you know are those actually are? are those like people who are actually well known in Britain? Because <laughs> yes, I just so they are called actors. <laughs> So when he's like Ant or Deck, they are Ant and Deck. Yeah, so they're called Ant and Deck, Anthony Partland and Declan Donnelly, and they've always worked together. Um, So it's always a joke that you can't tell them apart. But yeah, they they have been the biggest, most successful double act in this country in terms of presenters ever. They've won best, best TV presenters or something like that, something like 15 or 16 times in a row at the national television awards here so they are huge yeah wow fascinating and even when even when love actually came out there were like saturday morning tv presenters i think weren't they so they were doing kids tv so that's why they play kids yes yeah they were yeah yeah so they've gone on yeah massive saturday morning tv presenters they were pop stars as well yeah they were actors and pop stars and and presenters Yeah, it's just yeah, funny. Just, I just assume I just assume all these people are like background actors, and yet they're like actually well known people. <laughs> no, like there's yeah. not a uh, there is not so a many. single. Yeah, there's not a single role that isn't like, filled wasted. by someone who is a name. You know the TV. You know the old TV interviewer who Bill Nye tries to show his dick to. Yes, yeah, that's Michael Parkinson. He oh, is. Yeah the the yeah. legendary interviewer in this country he interviewed meg ryan so that was that really bombshell yes. interview that was with him wasn't yes it? i was yeah oh. but he was on the same he level really as like it. david oh, frost as well okay you know he had all the big names he would yeah. always interview muhammad ali when george michael was exposed for exposing the first interview he did was with Michael Parkinson. So this guy has such a storied, monumental career, and to most ignorant, dumb Americans, he's just the guy who gets Bill Nye's dick in his face in Love Actually. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Fascinating. I mean, it's all um, part of a legacy. Sure, sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes. And even the wedding DJ... I think this is the best... ...is a, a known comedian over here called Junior Simpson. Oh my god. You yeah. guys are just blowing my... Like, I literally... Now, I, I used to just, you know, watch this movie and these actors would come and go. And now, you know, it's like... It's like this scene where Andrew Lincoln, like, screams in the middle of the street. And, like, the, like there's a guy who, like, gets jostled with his <laughs> shopping bags. And I'm gonna be like... I'm gonna be like, oh my, that's probably, like, a fucking, uh, like... That was Anthony Hopkins. Exactly. Like, now I, I can't even enjoy the, the, the background of this movie. Now I'm thinking of, like, every bit actor who has, like, one line in this movie. There's, like, Claudia Schiffer. Do you know Claudia oh, yeah. Schiffer? That I did know. I did know that was Claudia yeah. Schiffer. But okay. but only because there's the yeah. in-joke in the movie of how his wife wants him to bring Claudia Schiffer to the funeral. Uh, yeah, okay. I mean, that, that little bit is weird where he says, you know, I'm only going to go for a woman if it's Claudia Schiffer and you'll have to leave the house because I want to fuck her in your room. That's a weird thing to say to a child who's just lost his mother. And where is the father? Because Liam Neeson is the stepfather. So where is this absent father? And why would Mm. you turn around to another man's child and say, get out, I want to fuck a supermodel in your bed? 
I mean, yeah. I think they have a very um, open relationship like that. So they do. Um, the, the stepfather I, and the child. Yeah, just uh, talking, you know, with language. You know, <laughs> watching Titanic. Okay, before we get too far from from Sorry. Billy Mac and Joe, I think the one other interesting thing to bring up in that conversation <laughs> is the potential queer reading of their relationship mm-hmm. by the end of the movie, because obviously, you know. He leaves El- One of the funniest lines in the movie is uh, the, the uh, for Gregor Fisher, is that the actor's name? Says 20 minutes at Elton John's and you're as gay as a maple. Yes. One of the funniest lines in the movie. I don't believe they were written to be uh, gay, but it is a nice little um, queer note, which is especially nice when you... Uh, there is a deleted subplot from this movie where the headmistress mm. of the kid's school is a lesbian... And I believe she goes home to her partner who's, like, dying of cancer. So good to know that Richard Curtis is furthering the trope of kill your gays in his movies. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Who was playing the lesbian? Did they shoot it and then cut it? Oh, it's Francis. Francis Delacour. Mm-hmm. And one of the actresses from Dinner Ladies. I've forgotten what her name is. But yeah, they're they're completely cut from the movie. But this is the only segment, I think, that really earns the sentimentality of its climax like i think that the film just expects you to accept the sentimentality from the get-go whereas because bill nye is so great and so against the sentimentality of the rest of the stories when then he does have a sentimental moment i actually believed it and i bought into that moment i agree it is a lovely Um, moment where he's unable to say i love you and he's like mm-hmm. almost mm. repelling it from mm-hmm. his body because he's so uncomfortable yeah, exactly. that he wants to say it. That is a lovely, mm-hmm. that is yeah. a lovely choice by Bill Nye. Did you have something you want to say, Well, No, I agree. This is that's one of my favorite relationships in the film. Always has been. Agreed. From that uh, lovely, uh, potentially queer quoted relationship to um, a child bride. Uh, her husband and his uh, best friend, <laughs> um, Juliet, Peter, and Mark. So this is an interesting one to dissect because I think when you ask, you know, any any kind of layman on the street to name the big emotional moment of love, actually, it is uh, Andrew Lincoln's character coming to the door, saying it's carol singers and presenting the the placards. This is just one that... I just have so many questions that are really irrelevant. Like my first one being, what if his friend had answered the door instead of her? What was what was he gonna do? Well, I thought that, and I th- I just assumed he would know his friend hates carol singers, so he might not answer the door. Mm. He would send his child bride. But yeah. also, how many how many drafts of those of those placard cards did he write? How many versions? <laughs> How long did it take him to get to to that? Well, maybe he had a spare set that, that said that said, "Don't say anything. Say it's Carol Singers. I want to fuck your wife." Or don't say anything. <laughs> Child <laughs> services are at the end of the street. They've got lollipops. Go, go. It is. It right. is the least romantic thing to me. It's weird. It, it's almost as weird as when John Cusack is holding that hi-fi system above his head in in what was that film does that say anything <laughs> say anything they just don't um, play well they're weird it's almost i just can't just imagine weird. doing that to your best friend and 
be doing yes. doing the wedding yeah. video and just like that is your job right now is to do this and you've done a very bad job of it no he was i mean he wasn't even <laughs> hired to be the wedding videographer he was just doing that for his own smutty wank tape <laughs> his own collection yeah yeah i think it's like a really On cute VHS. idea like the placards thing is a, is a cute idea but it's really misguidedly placed yeah. it's like he wants us to but richard curtis loves to think it's more romantic than actually richard right. curtis loves a declaration of love moment I'm just a man standing mm. in the rain. Is it still raining? I hadn't noticed. And then whatever he did mm. in in Notting Hill, <laughs> she's not Australian, but even in <laughs> even in Notting Hill, Richard Curtis is an old romantic at heart. So for him, right, yeah. someone writing placards and having a CD of of um, carol singers is like oh this is the best thing i've ever yeah, written put it on a relationship where you're not a guy trying to break yeah, up exactly. his best friend's marriage <laughs> yeah yeah and he was yeah. he was best man where you had to pay hundreds of dollars to hire a choir and musicians to <laughs> to do this all you need is love scene oh yes <laughs> which is so lovely that- <laughs> i love the wedding so much but that would have cost so it much it is money. lovely but it's also yeah disgusting in retrospect yeah repulsive are you you would notice someone holding a tuba in the audience also there is the offhanded transphobic joke that they make about the strippers who were hired for the bachelor party oh yes yes there's also the trans the transvestite doll oh yeah but emma thompson says it so it's okay (laughs) emma thompson emma thompson can say fag i'll just say that definitively here and now Ja- Josh, you should uh, you should say what the wedding is inspired from because I think it's a great fact. Oh yeah, I didn't. I only found this out today. I had, had no idea about this, but it's inspired yep. by Jim Henson's funeral, uh, which wow. Richard Curtis did attend. And during the funeral, a lot of the puppeteers came in with their muppets, <gasps> and they did a musical number during the funeral. Yeah. Yes, I've seen so, that on YouTube. Ah, see, I'd never even heard of it, but oh, if you yeah. if you want to have a good deep hard cry, you should you should watch the Jim Henson funeral. Oh no, I don't need to. I've I'm all cried out this pandemic. <laughs> Actually, I think it was in the Elmo documentary, the the documentary about the man who played Elmo before they realized he was a sex pervert. Yeah, it's in. The, it's also yeah. it's also in I Am Big Bird. Ah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I wanted to. I, I will say. You were. All, I think everyone's correct in the sense that it is. It, it on paper, it is a lovely gesture, and it's a. It is a big, well-written romantic moment. However, the the context of those relationships makes it feel icky. I will say one reason it might work a little bit more for me is when I think about the fact that like Andrew Lincoln is clearly set up as this like artist character. Like he obviously creates his own art. He works at a gallery. The idea of him doing that in a big, grand, romantic way, like, made sense for me. Like, it mm-hmm. wasn't just, like, some Joe Schmo straight dude guy. Like, I like you know, like, some, like, a, a regular guy wouldn't have enough creativity in his mind to do something that big. But when you watch the movie and he, you know, like I said, works in this gallery and he's clearly some sort of, like, tortured artist, that all made sense to me in his character. I think he actually gives... For someone who has to act as someone in love with his best friend's 
child bride. He does a really nice job. I the the one thing with that character though is that he's so up his ass about his own art that he doesn't like people are in your gallery and they're laughing at your art because it is funny. His but is art... that his art? I didn't see it as that was his art. I just thought he worked at the Tate Modern. And but the thing is he lives yeah. by the Oxo Tower, which is on the like by the River Thames, there's no way you can work at the Tate and rent a flat there. It'd be, it'd be. I mean, doesn't even think you could rent a flat there. It'd be <laughs> minimum six million for that for that shitty little apartment. You see, do you see a shot of them building the gherkin in the film as well? Did you notice that? No, I didn't. I didn't realize it was that long ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a shot of the half erect gherkin. Oh wow. <laughs> I mean, so to speak. Crystal I mean, and the gherkin was up when I was in London in 2004. But it was your effect. I mean, of course. <laughs> so as we jump into the uh, the Jamie and Aurelia story, I have to ask because it's come up. The actress who plays uh, his girlfriend and his brother who are having an affair, are those uh. played by famous British people that I don't know? Uh, no, actually, no. <laughs> I've never seen them before or uh... since. Okay. Now, now, now. Every time we think of these these stories, I just assume that they're full of famous British yeah. people who I'll never know. <laughs> um, so, uh, Will, I saw this in your letterbox review. I think you're you're a fan of the Jamie Aurelia love story. I think it's very sweet. It's a lovely little relationship, and I'm like, oh, this is this is nice, and there's nothing really problematic about it, and like they enjoy each other's company, and they become fond, even though they can't communicate with words. They communicate through love. They communicate through subtitles. And uh, the, the the fat jokes about her sister are okay because the story's cute, right? Oh, oh I didn't realize those were there too. Oh, yeah. but she has. But to be fair, she has let herself go. So she is no less deserving of love, though. <laughs> well, I don't know why. I, I find I find it so charming. You went with a woman anyway, Robert. <laughs> she was a woman. <laughs> I find it so charming that the father, not just happy to refer to his less attractive daughter as Miss Duncan Donut. He calls her Miss <laughs> Duncan Donut 2003, which She's I just find to that so title. Like, charmingly yeah. dating the uh... movie in such a cute way. No, I think I think there's more than just the date that dates. And also this movie. a weirdly American joke, right? Which you know, I, and I don't want to get too far ahead of it. Obviously, I'm, I'm yeah. we're spoiling the happy ending that Jamie and Aurelia get. Um, I, I do really like that story. Um, like so much of this movie, it really does coast on the charms of Colin Firth, who is just such an affable, you know, lovable, like romantic lead for all his, you know, tomfoolery and like curt, uh, British awkwardness. And I think that I've always enjoyed, like, you know, I, I, I love him and Bridget Jones. Br Bridget Jones's Diary is probably my favorite romantic comedy of all time. So obviously I... I am drawn to him as a romantic lead, but I think having the the crutch in the way of their language barrier proves for some really fun comedy. Um, even though, you know, on the, you know, I've got, I've probably seen this movie now 15, 20 times, the dialogue back and forth of them saying the same things to each other, it's like a little too cute. Um, but ultimately they do get one of the more... Yeah. Um, I, I, is it is it a good love story or is it just not as icky as the other ones? I can't tell. It's weird. 
He asks her to marry him. They've been dating for like, well, not even dating, not even that. for what, and four weeks? The language barrier is not that much of a barrier. He <laughs> learned Portuguese in a week. Yeah. <laughs> like he gets, get, he gets most of it right. Yeah. And she learned, she learned English too. So, you know, they both were weird about it. Joshua, here's a question for you as a writer. If mm. someone that you thought was hot, that you fancied, caused your only copy mm. of your new manuscript to blow away would you would you be as yeah apologetic as he is would you take that responsibility or would you kick the shit out of the person drown them in that pool they drown them they would be drowned yeah <laughs> No, like it is. It looks fetid. It looked but, vile, like, not romantic in the slightest. It was so shallow that, like, they're like on their knees. They're like, but we didn't. Also, didn't need the gratuitous undressing shots that Richard Curtis gave us. It, it was very teen no. movie because he remains fully clothed. Because he's a teenager in his head. He's he's writing yeah. this from the position of. A horny little teenager suddenly he is directing the film he's writing the film as well he has all the power and now he's getting to live out his <laughs> sordid little surrey based fantasies i also just wonder if, if i were in that position whether i was you know male or female identifying would i actually strip down that far because obviously in the movie, Colin Firth just kind of goes in. I think he just manages to like, take he his He falls off, in. He doesn't but, even know, jump or... in. He falls off the side of the dock. He trips over the side, yeah. He does a side plant. Side plant. I think knowing how cold it was, I would strip down knowing that I want to put dry clothes on afterward. But they're not that far sure. away from the house. Hmm. Yeah. It's not like they're in the middle of the woods and they've got a two-day walk back to the hut. Well, she's the she's the housekeeper. She doesn't have a spare set of clothes there. Imagine if he had just got fully naked and she was in her bra. It'd be a bit oh, awkward. He can give her a tea towel to <laughs> dry her hair. He does let that camera linger on her back tattoo a little long That's for my weird. life. Read, but... the, t the, the back tattoo, like, pause is odd. Strange. It, it just It's just so funny. It's so odd that, you know, once they're in Portugal, he's making, you know, there's all these jokes about Aurelia's being sold as a sex slave to this Englishman. You know, he's calling his daughter, he's, he's saying he's going to give him for free if it's the other daughter. And then to have her, like, have this back tattoo just seems so out of personality for someone who would come from that family, but... Because like, like most... No, it's fine. They're all tattooed. They're all tattooed with their own barcode and individual sex slave number. And if we looked on the back of Kira Knightley, you would see her back tattoo as well. And I'm pretty sure if you strip Emma Thompson down, there's a very old one there as well. But, but Kira Knightley says, do not open until 2004. <laughs> or or later <laughs> yeah uh, all the women are tagged and in fact it's chris martin it's chris martin who is going to america and he's trafficking trafficking them back that's the subplot they don't get into that's how they're all coming over disgusting he picks, he picks a new city each he picks a new city each time like that's why it's, i've always found it so funny that um he picks wisconsin and so i'm like 
oh, well, maybe it makes sense if he's already made his way through, like, the major U.S. cities to traffic the women back. He's he's trying to throw the feds if, off the if scent. We want to go. I'll, we we can talk more about Wisconsin when we get to that relationship. But I think it's I think it's very funny. Oh, I agree. Yes, but we'll, Wisconsin we'll get there when is, we get to his. is like Dutch Pennsylvania Dutch. That's Wisconsin, right? Oh no, Wisconsin's no, near just... us in Chicago. At least yeah. closer, to little north. Okay. I don't know nothing about America. Are you which is nothing? which is why we're here. <laughs> to we teach you to teach you to teach you guys is For all about, all about cultural ways. exchange <laughs> <laughs> um okay so let's talk the harry karen and mia storyline okay i'm gonna say my piece and then i will let you guys go is this alan rickman the thing i will say is this is my favorite storyline yes. and the reason being while Harry is a right prick, and I hate him, and Emma Thompson deserves so much better, they do enough nuanced character development in this story that makes me, like, eat it up and buy it like oh, line and Sinker. for sure. I used, I used to be angry that she stayed with him. However, in watching it last night, while it is disgusting and despicable that he buys a gold necklace which is an ugly necklace let's just say that right now even by 2003 standards it really is it's horrible uh it has that ugly little ruby off center regardless not important it's ugly he while he gives it to mia and that is wrong he does give Emma Thompson a nice gift, which is a Joni Mitchell CD because they have the exchange about how much she loves Joni Mitchell. Doesn't make it okay what he did. However, because they plant that seed of their relationship being deep in a way that I don't think Richard Curtis has ever written another relationship in his life, there that moment sells me on why she stays with him and on top of the fact that they have kids and all of these things this was the first time i like understood why they stay together and they get that kind of like unhappy happy ending where he gets off the plane at the end and the last thing she says is come on home and they go Where's all that been? plus the fact that i think some of the greatest acting i've ever seen in my life is her silently crying to joni mitchell in her room oh yeah and pressing her pressing the butt of her palm to her cheeks i'm demonstrating it over the camera this is obviously <laughs> a audio medium you can't see me doing it but i'm explaining for the, the it was listeners beautifully it really done was. i felt like i was watching emma thompson thank you yeah she she starts here <laughs> on the left cheek and then the, this one it kind of cups the yeah it's it is phenomenal and the less i think about her having to wear a fat suit <laughs> in that scene the better i feel about it I think this is sorry to interrupt. I think this is very typical of brilliant actors. They can take a script that is either absolute mm. dog shit or slightly lacking and just elevate it because they completely understand what needs to be done. They they almost they could almost see into the script more than the actual writer can because they're not as close to the script as the writer is or was. And when you're putting, it's like science. If you put Emma Thompson and at the time, the late uh, Alan Rickman in a room, you're going to get absolute mm -hmm. wonderful chemistry because they were, they are both 
or Alan was masterful mm. actors, masterful performers. Yep. And even when, yeah, you know, Emma Thompson is, I guess she is our Meryl Streep. Yes, she doesn't seem to be able to put a foot wrong, but when she does go wrong, she's not that wrong, but she's very wrong compared to how good she usually is. But her bad is still elevated above everyone else's good. <laughs> if she's in a bad thing, she's the best person in it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Emma Thompson very rarely yeah. puts a foot wrong. Last Christmas was a weird one, but she is usually very, very <gasps> I good. forgot she has a writing credit on that. No, she wrote yes, it. Yes, she does. Like, oh, she like, like, wrote it's it? It's her story. She, like, wrote she it, made yeah. it. Not oh, just a credit, she wrote it. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Did you guys wow. see, uh, she was in a movie that Mindy Kaling wrote a couple years ago called Last Night. She's yeah. really, really good. She that good and, um, so she's, she's a news anchor. Mr. Banks. Mm. Oh, mm. saving like Mr. A... Banks. So Last Night yeah. is the, the news one. Yeah, she plays basically, um, you know, George, like a yeah. Jimmy Fallon George or David Letterman. Or yeah, yeah, Letterman. Yeah. No, I didn't um, see that, but mm-hmm. Saving Mr. Banks is phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Was, her sobbing in the end. I saw that in a theater yeah. in a double feature with Mary Poppins, and I was so dry from all of the tears that I cried at the end of that night. I saw it in Brighton. I was hungover. I almost cried. That's the closest I've ever come to crying. You were too dehydrated. <laughs> what is crying? I do love the real life story of, yes, she did cry when she saw Mary Poppins, but the reason P.L. Travers cried is because she mm. thought the movie was absolutely horrendous oh, and yeah. hated it. But if, <laughs> but, if, but if they needed it to be yeah. uh, different for the film adaptation that, that was produced by the Walt Disney Company, then that's fine. Ah, of course. Yes. Yeah. Oh, Disney yeah. And, um, America's dad was in that film, oh, wasn't yeah. he? America's dad and my dad. Uh, yeah, he's Tom Hanks. You know, Tommy Hanks. COVID patient himself, Tom Hanks. Captain Phillips himself. Mm-hmm. Captain Captain COVID himself. Co- yeah, COVID. Well, COVID zero. came in and was like, I'm the captain now. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I was trying to think of a captain joke. <laughs> you got there first. <laughs> One up to Will. Do we have any further thoughts? I, I We haven't even discussed uh, Mia. I actually think, I actually think this this little vignette should have gone deeper. Mm-hmm. I think he should have fucked the weird assistant who is clearly harassing him and sexually well, harassing yeah. him in the workplace. And she's not being, she's, she's not she's being sly psychopath. about it. She's, she's literally saying, I'll be under the mistletoe, looping up my hole, mm-hmm. come find me. It would, it makes, yeah. it, it feels very odd that he's <clears throat> buying her this necklace before they've really had any romantic contact at all. Also, mm. we have to talk about how Harry That's talks so to bizarre. Sarah in the beginning of the movie. You work in a like a nonprofit. Like <laughs> if any boss were to tell me go go fuck this other person in the office, everyone knows I'm like I would be mortified and I would be mm. drafting a how letter of resignation. Well Will, you're neglecting to say the best part <laughs> of that story, which is which is that he tells her to, quote, go have lots of sex and babies. Yes, which is a very Jolly Hockey yeah. Sticks thing to say. Do you guys know Jolly Hockey Sticks? No. 
I have no idea what that means. So Emma Thompson's very jolly hockey sticks, like, oh, hello, I'm rather, I'm going to have tea, yada, 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 ha, ha, ha. Oh, that's stick, kind yeah. of jolly hockey sticks. <laughs> so that's very Emma Thompson. So for him okay. to say, oh, you should go have lots of babies and ooh, lots of sex, that's very jolly hockey sticks. Stephen Fry is jolly hockey stick. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Fry is my dad. Actually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Your dad or your daddy? He's my dad. I'm 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 far too old and ha- you're too old for I'm him. Too yeah, old and, and too old hairy for him. for him. Should we move on to uh, speaking of inappropriate <laughs> workplace relationships? Uh, are we ready to talk about um, Prime Minister David and his uh, staffer Natalie? If you want to hear the rest of that insanely amazing chat about Love Actually, head over to the Chasing Chalamet podcast, wherever you get your pods from. We'll put a link on our Twitter, which is, Joshua? It's at Tornstubs Pod. We're back on New Year's Eve with our top and bottom three films of the year, so be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, wherever you get your podcasts from, so you don't miss that episode. We are off to run through an airport. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning. Cut. <laughs>